Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, we want to welcome you all for joining us in our Granby campus and also for joining us on our online campus. We're glad you're here. We're in the midway point of our series called Kingdom Culture that we wrote for this season as our church. And I just want to remind you that what it means to be part of the kingdom culture. You see, we're part of the kingdom culture, the culture of the kingdom of God. And that means that we are citizens of heaven even while we live on this earth. And we want to fulfill the prayer that we see in Scripture that says that we're supposed to pray that God's kingdom would come as it is in heaven, that it would come on earth. And so that's our desire to bring the culture of the kingdom of God into this culture and this earth that we live in. I want to encourage you to take advantage fully of this series. Obviously, you're joining us for this message, and we encourage you to continue to tune in for our messages. They're also on demand on our website. We want to encourage you to take part of the life group material, the small group material that we put together. Hopefully, you've joined a life group. If you're unable to, you can get all that material online. It's at the bottom of our website where it says other resources. Those of you uh, that are here today, if you need the next uh, set of uh, lessons for those live groups, we have hard copies available for you in the front lobby. You can also download them from that website where it says other resources. So uh, let's uh, talk today about where we're going. We're talking about that the kingdom culture shares the gospel, that it shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, after the release of the uh, movie trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, I would guess that most people became familiar with the author of the books that the series was uh, originated from. It was J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, and what you may not know about Tolkien is that he was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, you know, um, is the author of The Chronicles of Narnia of the Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, and a whole host of other books. And Tolkien had an extreme influence on Lewis. Let me just share with you something that happened in their lives. It was a Saturday in September in 1931. Uh, C.S. Lewis had invited Tolkien and another friend to go out to dinner, and they were taking a stroll afterwards, and they began to discuss some things that were, they were passionate about, myth and metaphor. And Lewis had long appreciated myth. And as a boy, C.S. Lewis had come to love the great Norse myths about a dying god named Balder. And as a young man, he had grown to love and appreciate the power of myth throughout the history of language and literature. But he just saw them as myth. He didn't think that there was any substance to them. Thought they were beautiful, moving stories. Uh, and he also appreciated what Tolkien said about them. He said that, uh, that these myths, that uh, they are not worthless. He actually spoke to C.S. Lewis and said, no, they're not lies at all. That's what Lewis thought they were. 
And so they began to talk about things that evening. And as uh, they walked, the wind brushed along. And at one point, as they were talking about the great myths, um, he reflected uh, a little bit uh, with Token. And uh, they talked on and on about it. And he sensed uh, the, the force of, of Token's uh, belief about this passion. And so as they came to a place where they sat down and they began to talk about faith, about Christianity. And here, uh, Token became very passionate because he was a follower of Jesus. And he began to argue uh, and said that the poet who invented the story of Christianity was none other than God himself. And the images that God used were not myths and fairy tales, but they were real men and women in actual history. When Lewis heard all this, he was floored. And he said, do you mean that the death and resurrection of Christ is that same old North Norse myth of the dying God, but it's, the story is true? And Token replied, yes, except this is a real dying God with a precise location in history and a definite historical consequence. That old myth has become fact. As C.S. Lewis saw faith and intellect joining together here, he began to ponder things that he had never thought about before because Token had taken the time to dare to share about his faith in Jesus Christ. As Token left that evening, uh, Lewis and his other friend continued to talk, and, and later he wrote to a friend about that whole evening. He said, I have just passed from believing, from God, believing in God to definitely now believing in Christ and in Christianity. And when we get together, I'll explain more. Now think about this. This was in the 1930s. It was a time in culture when atheism and agnosticism was on the rise, and it was in a cultural setting, a, a, a collegiate setting where stuffy and intellectual people in the halls of academia thought Christianity was just a naive and simplistic religion. But Token had dared to share what he believed about Jesus. That is the culture of the kingdom of God, that we actually embrace this idea that what God has done in Jesus Christ is true, that he stepped into history, and that it has a personal effect on our lives, and that we need to share that with other people. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. We share the good news that we found in Jesus with others. Now, if I had to guess, I suspect that most of you came to faith in Jesus when someone shared with you about their faith in Jesus. Maybe it was one person, maybe it was a group of people, and over time they shared it with you. My guess is that that happened for the majority of you. Now, I know that some of you may have come to faith through some other means, but statistics show that predominantly it happens when somebody shares their faith with us. Those connections and that communication is essential for sharing the good news of Jesus. Today, I want you to see the truth that you and I are followers of Jesus because someone dared to share their faith with us. And that is actually God's plan to reach the world for Christ and to share the good news, just like Token did with Lewis. 
Here's the first thing that, that I want to challenge all of us with as we saw in that story about Token and Lewis. We need to dare to share. We need to dare to share the good news of Jesus with others. In the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul goes on about his passion for sharing the good news of Jesus with the people of Israel. Remember, uh, the apostle Paul was raised as a Jewish man. And so he had a passion now to reach his own people with the good news of Jesus. About halfway through chapter 10, he explains how people come to believe in Jesus and how we're supposed to share the good news with others. This is what he writes. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this tells us something that we probably already know, but that people are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And the evidence of that faith is that we will openly admit that we believe in Jesus, that we will declare that to others. And Paul specified that believing in the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Why? Because it's the defining act that demonstrated that Jesus holds the power over both sin and death for all who believe in him. And then Paul goes on and he points out that it's by believing in Jesus that we're made right with God. This is the doctrine of justification. And this doctrine acknowledges that before God, we're all condemned because we're sinners. It doesn't matter ultimately how good we are or how little we've sinned. Our sin, whether small or great, condemns us before God and means that we all deserve to be punished. But scripture tells us that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. Now, some Christians call this the great exchange. The great exchange is that all of our sins were taken and placed into Christ's account and that he took the punishment for our sins. While at the same, Christ, at the same time, Christ, our perfect and sinless Savior, took his righteousness and placed it in our accounts. And so, because of Christ, we are forgiven. Because of this great exchange, we stand justified before God by what Christ has done, not by anything that we've done. We're made right with God. That's how we're saved by faith. And then Paul concludes this section by quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel, proclaiming that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's reinforcing this idea that we're saved by faith and that the evidence of our salvation is that we will openly profess our faith in Jesus Christ. We'll call upon his name. And now in the next section in chapter 10, Paul explains how the message of Christ gets shared. He says, but 
How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that this is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The responsibility belongs to those who have believed in Jesus in their heart and have been saved. The responsibility belongs to us to dare to share with others the faith that we found in Jesus. Now, Paul concludes this passage, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, saying that the feet of those who bring good news, the good news of salvation, are beautiful. They're lovely. Now, I, I know for us that, that sort of seems like an odd phrase to, to say, you know, that somebody's feet are lovely because they brought us a message. But think about this. If you've ever been told a message that you needed to hear, one that you were actually aching to hear, and when they told it to you, you were so excited to hear that maybe you wanted to go up and hug them or give them a kiss on the cheek because why you, you needed to hear that good news and they told it to you. That's the metaphor that's going on here. He's just saying, listen, the, the feet of those who bring the good news are lovely. It's so good to hear that message. Now think about this. You and I wouldn't be here in this moment in time unless someone brought the message of the good news of Jesus to us. You and I wouldn't be here if they didn't speak the message to us. You and I wouldn't be here unless they dared to share what they had found to be true in Jesus. Now, I know in our culture today, one of the common responses to being dared to share our faith with others is that we say, well, you know, people who are unchurched or people who aren't Christians aren't interested but that's really not what studies show. Just in 2016, the Billy Graham Center commissioned a survey. They actually commissioned a survey of 2,000 of people who identified themselves as unchurched, that they did not follow any religious activity. The survey asked these participants about how they perceived Christians and Christianity, and it included their view of Christianity and their willingness to talk about their faith with Christians. And also included about their willingness to be invited to an event with, at a church. And this is what the data found out. It found out that unchurched Americans actually think pretty well of Christians and they're open to engaging in conversation about matters of faith. 42% of unchurched people think that Christianity is good for society. 33% admire their Christian friends' faith. And up to 67% would be willing to attend a church event if invited. So what does that study tell us? It concludes that unchurched people are open to be invited and to having a conversation and hearing about what others' faiths mean to them. Now I want you to, to think about how we talk about that people aren't open to that message today. Remember in Jesus' day? In Jesus' day, there were people who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. There were people who didn't want to hear that he was the Messiah. There were people who were so offended they wanted to kill Jesus. That kind of hostility is what we think today is like. But 
Scripture also tells us that in Jesus' day, there were people who were interested and open to hear about Jesus. The Apostle John records an encounter when on an occasion, a group of people actually came to the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. And so they took them to see Jesus. This study confirms that there are people here today People in our lives, in our circle of influence, in our, our orbit of life, who are open to hearing the good news of Jesus. But how can they hear unless somebody tells them? The culture of the kingdom of God shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you dare to share, let me give you some encouragement. Here's the first thing that I want to tell you. Be confident as you dare to share. Going back to the book of Romans, in the first chapter, we read these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. That's the Apostle Paul writing. He's saying, I'm not ashamed. Now, as you hear that scripture, my guess is it sort of brings up some questions within yourself. You may have asked yourself, am I ashamed to tell people that I believe in Jesus? Am I embarrassed to be identified as a follower of Christ? Am I embarrassed to read the Bible or let people know that I read it? Or am I embarrassed to share with people I go to church? Am I embarrassed of Jesus? By the way, the Apostle Paul wasn't the only writer in Scripture who confronted this idea of being ashamed of Christ. Jesus also did. He said, whoever is ashamed of me in my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when, they, when he comes in his glory. If you're embarrassed or ashamed of Jesus and you say you're a follower of him, then you need to figure out what's going on there, all right? That's some personal work that you have to do. But if you're experiencing embarrassment because you get tongue-tied when you try to talk about Jesus, when you try to share with others about your faith uh, because you're not quite sure what to say and you get all nervous and, and, and things get all jumbled up, that's something different. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to be confident, to be confident, to not be ashamed of the gospel, not be embarrassed of Jesus, to be confident in the one who has graciously saved you to be confident in the scriptures that tell us that the Holy Spirit has been poured into every single one of us when we came to faith in Jesus. And those same scriptures tell us that when we are asked about our faith, when we're asked to, to give a defense of why we believe in Jesus, that we're supposed to trust the Holy Spirit to give us the words that we need to be able to testify about who Jesus is to us. So be confident and trust the Spirit of God who dwells in you to give you the words that you need to speak and tell your story of faith. Listen, it doesn't have to be perfect or polished. What's important is that it's your story, your story of how you came to faith, your story of what Jesus means to you, your story of how your relationship with Christ helps you every single day. And here's the thing that I know. You're an expert on your story. You know how you've lived with Christ. You know how you put your trust in him, how you've trusted him through uh, the good times and through the difficult times. You know how you've sensed 
him walking with you, how he's answered your prayers, how he has guided you each and every day. You're an expert in that story. So be confident. Trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words and just be yourself and tell your story. Be confident and share. As you dare to share with that confidence, what you need to do next is this. You need to have compassion. You know, sharing the gospel is more than just sharing a message or words. In today's climate, we need to make sure as followers of Jesus Christ that we are demonstrating that we have compassion for people in the body of Christ and people outside of the body of Christ, for people who are warm to what it means to be a Christian and people who are hostile to what it means to be a Christian. Followers of Jesus need to demonstrate that they have compassion for all people. If you don't have love for people, the people that Jesus died for, then your words and your sharing will be useless. So we need to have compassion for people like Jesus had compassion. You know, Jesus saw people and he saw that they were far from God, that they were searching and seeking. And in his words, he would say that they were lost. And in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9, he talks about those who were spiritually lost. And look at how he feels about them. Beginning in verse 35, it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm going to talk about compassion in a minute, but let me remind you, in the culture of the kingdom of God, we are the workers in the harvest. We are the ones that need to dare to share and to be confident when we do it and to have compassion for people. But let's go back and look at how Jesus felt about those people who were spiritually lost, who were, who were far from God. It says that those people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it said that Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them. I did a little research on the word compassion. The Greek word we translate compassion carries a far deeper meaning in the original Greek language than we understand in our English language. Technically, it means to be moved in one's bowels. Now, so don't get too hung up on that word. In our gut, okay? Think about that. It's that idea that having compassion is a gut feeling that stirs our hearts. Now, when Matthew wrote his gospel, it was commonly believed in that day and age that our guts were the seat of our emotions, the place where deep and powerful feelings took root. While science has long held that the emotions are connected to brain activity, the ancient world was actually onto something. Researchers today know that the brain and our digestive system are quite closely connected and our emotions affect both. We all know, for instance, that when we seem to feel strong emotions in the pit of our stomach, we recognize that it's not only going on in our brain, but it's going on here. So when Matthew says Jesus had compassion, 
when he saw the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he was having a deep gut reaction. I think we understand that. Maybe you've gone through an emotional experience sometime. Maybe you've gone through something very trying sometime. Maybe you've sort of felt anguish for something you're going through or somebody else is going through. Parents understand this. When their kids go through difficult times, you feel something so much that, it, that you get an upset stomach, that, that you, you can't rectify those feelings and level things out. Why? Because you're feeling those emotions, not just in your brain, but in your gut. That's having compassion. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to, to have that kind of compassion for people who are far from God, to want the best for them, to want them to experience and know the same promise of eternity that we have found in Jesus. We have to have that compassion. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, thankfully, somewhere in our lives, somebody had that compassion for us. Somebody dared to share with us about Jesus. They were confident enough in their story about what Jesus had done that they had compassion for us and they shared. We heard the message when it was shared. We believed in who Jesus was and we professed our faith in him and started following him. Some of you know who John Grisham is. He's a great author. He's written 45 books. Um, when he first started writing books, the first book that he wrote was A Time to Kill. It was in 1989. It didn't sell very well. Only 5,000 copies. It wasn't advertised. It never made a bestseller list. It was sort of a flop. The next book he wrote was called The Firm. It also wasn't advertised. It was hardly reviewed. And the few reviews that it did get, they weren't good. But something happened. People read it and they liked it. And they told other people who bought it and read it. And ultimately, the firm sold 7 million copies. There was no fancy advertising campaign. It was all word of mouth. At one time, Grissom's books were so popular that he had the number one best-selling hard copy novel and the number one, two, and three selling soft cover novel. And all of that happened without an advertising plan, without a campaign. But somebody read a book and liked it and told somebody else, and they read it and they liked it and told somebody else. As followers of Jesus Christ, who have discovered that he is real and loves them and has compassion, we've liked Jesus. And it's our ability to share that with others that we have to follow through on it because that is God's plan to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. We have to dare to share that message. We have to dare to share it with confidence and with compassion. I thought about this a lot over the past couple of months as we head toward an election season. We've gone through so much as a world right now, and it seems tumultuous again as we head toward this election. There are only 16 days to that election, and if you have watched the media and read social media and said things like me, you've begun to notice that followers of Jesus Christ, whoever they're going to vote for, are very passionate about who they're going to vote for. They tweet about it. They post about it. They rant and rave about it. And I wondered, I, it, you know, as a, if it's caught my attention over and over, the one thought I've had is this. 
what if followers of Jesus had that same enthusiasm, that same passion, that same desire to tell people about Jesus, about their faith in Jesus? In the Gospel of John, we see when John the Baptist was walking along the road, he had his disciples with him, and he saw Jesus coming, and he pointed to Jesus, and he said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to point people to Jesus by sharing our story. We need to point people to the Lamb of God. Instead of pointing people to elephants or donkeys, we need to say, listen, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has changed my life, and he's going to be here forever. Politicians will come and go. Followers of Jesus need to be passionate about sharing who Jesus is to them. I want to close this message by praying for you. In one of two ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to pray that you will dare to share with other people in confidence and also with compassion about who Jesus is to you because I believe that God has placed you in a circle of influence with people that you can share the good news of Jesus with. I also want to give those of you who have never put your trust in Jesus and never told him you believe in him the opportunity to do so. So wherever you are right now, if you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to lead us in in both of those prayers. I'm going to start off with a prayer to put your faith in Jesus. So if that's you, I encourage you to pray these words after me. Put them in your own words. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And I'll end that prayer, but I'll continue in an attitude of prayer for all of us. God, I I pray for each and every one of us who calls you Lord and Savior, that we would dare to share with others that you have placed in our lives what you mean to us, that we be confident in our story because you've written that story in our lives and we're experts on it, and that as we share it, we would have compassion for those that we're sharing with. Lord, help us understand that in the culture of the kingdom of God, you desire for us to share with others what we have had shared with us and and that's changed our lives. So give each and every one of us the eyes to see and the confidence to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to build our life on the culture of the kingdom. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing this closing song about building our life on Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.